So you're saying that the retreat that you did, that part of the emphasis was sort of opening the mind. Yeah, yeah. And that you equated that with something that you and I had talked about uh, recently in the sense that uh, we can either focus in on or we can express or open and broaden and we can mm. use a symphony orchestra and ex as an example mm. that we can watch the violinist or we can watch the conductor. But really, uh, it takes, um, as it were, a different kind of concentration mm. to open up to the whole thing. Mm. And that this is actually part of um, the process of um, one, one way of looking at it is, is that um, imagine that the mind is, is getting to the point of being able to focus, at, that it's mm. all over the place, mm. and that we use an object so mm. that we can begin to start touching that object. Mm. And most of the people think that concentration means that you're pushing on it mm. rather than just merely occasionally touch it. Mm. What, what we're actually then practicing is, is the ability to come and, and keep the mind there mm. without concentrating it, without pushing it, mm. But, mm. but to allow it to become stable. Okay. Once it becomes stable, now we can draw it out mm, so mm. that it's not that one point that we're touching. Now we're mm. getting a very, very large picture that it, in fact, it's, an, it's a way of opening mm. our perception by not doing a lot of perception. Mm. <laughs> now here, let me describe what I mean by that. Uh, in the teaching of Paticca Samupada, which we have spent some time with, mm. we understand that we don't really live in the real world so much, uh, that we live in a constructed reality. Mm. And that an, an important point of that is, is that uh, not only do we live in a constructed reality, but that we spend a lot of our time, our mind moments, constructing reality. Mm. Mm -hmm. Taking what we see and the senses and all of that, mm. and then trying to make sense out of it. Mm. Or constructing a reality, trying to make sense out of it is another mm. way of saying it. And when we decide that we know what it all is, uh, then uh, that would be like taking the internal senses and constructing something out of it. Sort of like the distinction between being in a studio mm. with video cameras versus mm. the audience, which is actually in their room looking mm. at a TV screen. Okay, so the TV screen that mm. we have in our mind is really a whole lot different, just like the TV is a whole lot different than the studio mm. that the camera is in, right? Mm. Um, and that we spend a lot of our time and effort 
in constructing and broadcasting and receiving and et cetera, the signal mm. that we're talking about. Okay. And that that whole process then is uh, listed under the label that we normally use in English language as perception. Mm. Uh, or you could talk about it in the sense of uh, recognition, but it's mm. the re part mm. that, that cognizes, okay? Mm. And the re redoing it is that perceptional thing. Mm. And that we wind up spending a lot of time in that perception. Mm. And so um, a lot of the then later practice, which some people would call deeper practice, but another way of saying is the lighter practice, mm. is simply because we are now, once we're able to get the mind very stable, mm. that we're withdrawing it from the objects that it became stable on. So rather than jumping from object to object to object to object, we get to the point that we can kind of hold a very small class of objects. Mm. And this is what we would call wholesome thoughts, mm. that we would start uh, limiting our thoughts from unwholesome um, as uh, and into the world of wholesome. Now, let mm. me give you an example of that. In the regard, a lie is unwholesome and the truth is wholesome. Okay, if I ask mm -hmm. you how old you are and you told mm -hmm. me the truth, what would you say? In 34. years. 34. Huh? 34. 30, 34. Okay. And if you were to lie to me when I ask you how old you are in years, then what would you say? 47. And if I ask you again, what would you say? 54. <laughs> and if I ask you again, what would you say? 370. All right, now we're cooking. Now we're getting <laughs> the point that the, the amount of different lies that we can tell on an individual question far exceeds the truth. Hmm. That also puts us in the realm that um, wholesome thought mm. is actually quite small mm. as opposed to unwholesome thought, which is quite broad. Mm. And also the, the um, so the concept then is, is that if we begin to take the idea that we're going to start working with just wholesome and uh, uh, when we find unwholesome to eliminate that and we begin to do that throughout the day, throughout our lives, as well as a practice uh, period uh, that we would call a meditation session, mm. all of that then means that as we begin to grow in the Dhamma, that mm. our selectivity gets very keen. Mm. As our selectivity gets very keen, that means our ability to discriminate between what is wholesome and what is not wholesome means mm. that we used to take all of this as wholesome 
and that stuff over there. Now we begin to say, wait a minute, this has got to go over there, and this has got to go over there, and we wind up having less and less and less that's actually wholesome. Mm. Because we can see the dangers in all of the unwholesome. In a way, you can say that it's kind of like boxing ourselves in mm. or setting boundaries. Mm. And that the boundaries are normally set depending upon uh, the way of the danger that can be seen in that. So the wholesome is going to be that which is always found to be safe, secure, serene, mm. sabai, everything is okay. And that everything else needs to be inspected to see if it is dangerous or not. And if it's dangerous, mm. then it's unwholesome. Mm. And so like an alcoholic that drinks before they go to AA, they can see the gratification in the alcohol, but that they don't see the danger. Once they go to AA, they begin to wake up with the 12-step program to recognize what danger it is in their life to cross that boundary. So they set that boundary saying, I'm not going to have even one drink. I'm going to draw a hard line. Hmm. Well, guess what? Not only do Dhamma dudes do that with <laughs> alcohol, and they are not alcoholics, they don't go to AA, but they hmm. kind of set that boundary. The Buddha said, okay, that, and we can see the dangers of it. It took me twice. I got drunk twice in my life, and after that, <laughs> <laughs> no more. No, I've seen it. I, I saw <laughs> the dangers in it. <laughs> Just twice. Uh, huh? Just twice. Just twice. Once Very when good. I was in college and, and once later when I should have known better. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, once we see the danger in it, mm -hmm. that will be then the escape from it. Mm -hmm. Though many people look at it as setting boundaries, saying, oh, mm -hmm. I can't go there. And if I set all of these boundaries then I'm boxing myself into something very small and very tight. Mm. But another way of looking at it is, no, what we really do have is we have a paradise here. And that instead of uh, giving half of paradise to uh, the other side of the boundary, we're just going to push the boundaries out. But it's still the same concept in the sense of now we're free from that. Mm. Now I'm free from this, now I'm free from that, and now I'm only, um, let us say, holding to those things which are <clears throat> wholesome. That the Buddha even talked about it, and there's a sutta by the name of, or at least it's translated into English, as one fortunate attachment. Say that again, sorry? One there's a sutta by the name of One Fortunate Attachment. Right. It's sutta okay. number 131 in the Majjhima Nikaya, but there's four or five mm. suttas right in a row that, that dwell with this. Mm. And, and what they're pointing at is, is that in most of Western Buddhism, they mm. have the idea that we should not have any attachments. Mm. But the Buddha actually talked about four modes of clinging. And these four modes of clinging means we can set kind of four boundaries or we can avoid those four things, but there's other things that are worth clinging to. Mm. 
And one of them would be to cling to the wholesome. Another would be cling to the four noble truths. Another way of looking would be to cling to the here now or attach mm. ourselves to wholesome things and to become free of the unwholesome. As mm. we do that, we narrow things down completely. Mm. Once we've gotten that down, down to the mind is, uh, is at that state. Now mm. the mind can then be drawn out. Mm. And there's various um, analogies of that is, is that um, the analogy is the material object versus the mind made object. Okay, if we begin to just let the, the, the object that exists exist in and of itself, we don't have to make anything of it, mm-hmm. which means we don't have to spend any time doing that making of it, mm-hmm. and we can spend more time observing instead. So going mm-hmm. along with what we were talking about before with the, with the orchestra, is is that you can imagine that the kid goes into the orchestra uh, or or to the concert and he's all over the place. He's all gagging, he's playing with his Mm. popcorn and and mom says, just settle down and pay attention to what's going on, Mm -hmm. okay? As he grows up and becomes expert, he may in fact finally figure out how to pay attention to what's going on but his awareness is broad enough now that he's focused well enough now that mm-hmm. it includes not only what all the orchestra is doing, mm-hmm. but what's happening in the theater also. Because we're not taking and focusing on any one thing anymore. Mm-hmm. Ah, so one of the words in the English language that we have would be the word gazing. Mm-hmm. And gazing is different than looking like looking mm-hmm. at or staring. Mm. So staring is really looking. Uh, looking at is this. And gazing means that you're taking everything in, mm-hmm. not having an object or drawing mm-hmm. back from it. So in that regard, <clears throat> with Paticca Samupada, and we can also think of this as um, the qualities that we're looking at uh, in let us call it not a strongly developed fourth jhana, but rather a vipassana fourth jhana that's actually rooted in the first jhana, mm. but that our object becomes nothing. Mm. Mm. In the process of the object that we have is nothing, it means everything. And mm. in that sense, we're, ga- we're now gazing by being open to everything, mm. open to all of the senses, but we're not trying to make any sense out of it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> by doing that, there's a separation between the consciousness and the perception map, the perception or the recognition or the recognizing part mm. is now not given much juice and we're spending more Mm. and more mind moments on just the observation, just the consciousness, just the input itself. Mm. And there's various ways of talking about that, 
and the joke is, is that the Dalai Lama, when he went to the UN, he went out on the street to the hot dog vendor uh, and and asked uh, to have uh, make me one with everything. Okay. Yeah. This is what we're talking about. Mm. How we become one with everything is by not creating our own version of it. Mm-hmm. That we become, uh, we start to come out of the interior world that we have created and live mm. in and start functioning more in the real reality. Mm-hmm. And so this is a way of, and it's hard to describe to the students about what this is about, but it only comes about once the mind is capable of holding an object. Mm-hmm. Because now we're going to hold that object, but we're now going to hold more and more and more objects. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in, in the beginning, with Anapanasati, mm-hmm. we only begin to hold the breath as right. the object. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. to get us started. Mm-hmm. But by the time we're actually fully practicing Anapanasati, it's got now 16 objects mm-hmm. all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Guess the what? Cakes. That's that's the that's the begin. Sixteen is is the beginner's crutch. We're looking for centipede style operation here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, uh, but in the process of doing that, see, by concentrating and focusing on the body, we're opening mm-hmm. the sensory awareness so that we're really here in the body. Mm-hmm in mm-hmm. our environment and having mm-hmm. the environment contact us and touch mm-hmm. us and mm-hmm. we, we get the sense of the touch of the cloth mm-hmm. uh, and um, uh, the whatever is contacting the body or if it's the wind or, or whatever. So we get very attuned to the body mm-hmm. as one of the things. The other part of it is, is we also get attuned to the body as it's not just sitting but mm-hmm. as it's relaxing, which would be step four of Anapanasati, to have mm-hmm. the body completely relaxed. Mm-hmm. And then we go into the other stuff in the sense of enthusiastic about the practice, the pity, mm-hmm. and the satisfaction mm-hmm. with the practice. These are also skills to be developed, and we're mm-hmm. going to pr- start working with all of that. So you can see where once we get all of these skills built together, Mm-hmm. So that we're carrying around this joy and this sukha and this relaxation and this contact with the uh, with our environment and all of that, that is very little left now to open up even more mm-hmm. to the big it, the good mm-hmm. old whatever it is, mm-hmm. the one with everything, uh, mm-hmm. universal contact, and it basically has to do with. Uh, let us say one of the ways of saying it is to learn to not take an object Mm. here we spend all of this time working out and pushing out and having fewer and fewer objects so that we get the mind down to just a few objects but it's a group of objects these skills that we have developed. So we've got it focused down to just these very, very wholesome things. Mm -hmm. Once we have the mind focused on that, 
then we kind of let everything come back in. Mm. Uh, but it's still a lot to do with our senses rather than our um, internal processing. Mm. Mm. So, a little going on with um, Paticca Samapada. Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa talks about it in the sense of wisdom at the point of contact. Mm-hmm. Wisdom at the point of contact or at pasa, right before feelings or as the feelings are arising, mm-hmm. is a major, major point for students to begin to practice so that they know what they feel. Mm-hmm. Because that's the time to change how you feel is when you're feeling easy and then you start to feel bad. You can say, ah, I see that. Let me throw that out Mm. and I can come back and feel good again. All right. So Mm. this is a major place for practice. But Mm. then this new place that we're talking about is the new place of practice that we're backing up the process in time so that now we're not. Uh, putting wisdom at that point of contact of the mental object that we created. But now we're mm. at the point to where we're stopping making mental objects. We're no longer mm. trying to make sense out of the world. We're just there to experience it. Mm. Mm. Why? Because we've already deemed it safe. Mm. Once it's safe, we can just allow it to be. Mm. without having to make sense out of it. Now, guess what? Humans, they don't like that so much sometimes because they want to try to make sense out of everything. They want to know. (laughs) They want to demand, okay? And yet, we do have that sense of sometimes we get completely overwhelmed with sensory input. Mm. And that's when people automatically will go into that state. An example of that is that during an explosion mm. or um, let us say uh, walking out to the Grand Canyon and taking a vista mm. of something that's so magnificent and so huge mm. that people stand in awe of it. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? You can bring yourself right to that, right sitting right where you are, because that room, <laughs> I mean, I look at that bookshelf and I'm in awe of that. Look how I many it is mind-blowing, okay? So this is a, another way of talking about it in ordinary language, but that is very rare mm-hmm. for people to have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that sense of awe. And yet we can find it. We can find it in spectacular music. We can find mm-hmm. it in concerts. Sometimes people find that in a sports situation. Mm-hmm. But we really do like that sense of awe, that, that uh, sense of being completely overwhelmed. And this is exactly what, what we're doing, except we're doing it consciously and we know how to do it. Mm. Well, I guess it, uh, <clears throat> um, it's a way, it's a kind of divinity maybe that that's being spoken about, like the presence of something that you might call God, right? Which is absolutely that's a good uh, that's a good enough word for good old whatever <laughs> it is. Yeah, most most of the time the word God is used in a very small sense. 
mm. like a Christian God of the Aowa, where this is the whole show. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Our entire environment, mm -hmm. mostly closely, but mm -hmm. ultimately, ultimately. <laughs> <laughs> ultimately, ultimately is good. Um, but I guess that, that leads to a sense of uh, anatta as well, that kind of idea of uh, uh, part of the kind of... Bingo is exactly the loss of sense of mm. self. Mm. Complete loss of the sense of self and just being melding into the environment, mm. melding mm. into being at one or at home, finally. Mm. 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 I mean, I can, I, I, I can sort of get hints of that when I'm sitting, and there are moments when I'm, I experience it kind of in in daily life, as it were, um, and those are really wonderful moments. But they're kind of they're moments where you feel like quite strange as well, <laughs> something kind of uh, estranging, you know, because you're not used to it. And um, that kind of... Um... Yeah, we're used to living in a dangerous world. How marvelous it is and how strange it is to be in a world that's completely open. Mm, mm, mm. In a way, we actually come in contact with how vulnerable we are. Yeah. And because of that vulnerability, we also understand how nurturing our environment really is. Mm -hmm. It is almost like we're made for the environment, which is actually true. We evolved that way to fit in. And yet so many of us in our society, we feel like we don't fit in somehow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I guess that you, you, we also have brains and like, limbic systems and um, endocrinological systems that are kind of a bit excessively adapted though you know like you can get pounding adrenaline just because uh, someone owes you an email <laughs> <laughs> and is really disproportionate um, and that's not even necessarily something to do with the modern world, but just sort of systems that are in play that uh, that you're not really conscious in conscious control of, and events in your past that might have led you to feel a certain way at a given time. Um, so I'm just, I guess, I'm thinking about that little boy in the orchestra. He's gone to see the. Um, performance and one of the things he has to contend with is his own mind right you know his own absolutely that's the, the whole point the sixth is that, sense that we've gotten to the point now that we don't have to contend with our mind anymore mm. that yeah we can, <laughs> that we can sort of like uh, um how to say it we can actually, it's almost like we carry the mind around like a cell phone and we're constantly playing with it. Mm, we're not mm. paying attention to what's really going on. We're too interested in what our thoughts and, and, and so as we learn to put down a cell phone and pay mm. attention, so mm. we can also put down this mind mm. that's just yakety, 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 and uh, uh, creating 
and trying to make sense out of it and mm-hmm. um, and and all of that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and just set that toy down and just experience. Mm-hmm. When when the mind is really going yakety yakety yak, which it has actually been for me this past week. Um, does I mean what what's the sort of because there's acceptance, uh, <clears throat> there's a kind of uh, lightness of, there's a kind of equanimity you could apply to that, but there's also a kind of right effort which you could apply to trying to push those thoughts to one side and focus on the here now. Um, you know, like in a, in a kind of day to daily life kind of way. I mean, is it is it does it call for a combination of those approaches? you know, equanimity and right effort, or? First off, I will say that there are many, many activities Mm. that we do throughout the day. Mm. That while we're doing those activities, the mind is focused on those activities. Mm. And I'll Mm. give you many examples, but one would be the example of playing a game like Sudoku or solitaire or something like that. That while the person is playing the game, they're thinking mm. about the game and they're not thinking about all of life's troubles. Mm. Well, uh, guess what? We can, in, in fact, uh, find Anapanasati is kind of like that game of Sudoku. Mm and occupy the mind that way and and the uh, the trick here is instead of finding the right number to put into the right box is is that work their garden are you a wholesome thought or not mm. are you going to get allowed in here or not okay and mm. it begins to be a game mm. and so i i i know of people okay. who say that i was tossing and turning in bed at night and thinking about all of that trouble i've got over there and so I'd get up and I'd, I'd play a game of Sudoku. And after I played that game of Sudoku, I could recognize my mind was still for a while. I'd put the Sudoku and the cell phone down, go back to try to go to sleep. And then here come all of those thoughts again. Mm. All right. And so mm. in that regard, we're using the game of Sudoku to try mm. to calm the mind down, which means to keep it from going yakety yakety yak. Mm. But if we have the skill, if the ordinary person has the skill to calm the mind down by having it focused, say, on a game of Sudoku, we can focus it also on uh, our practice of Anapanasati wherever we are. Mm-hmm. That in fact, the Buddha makes a point of it, and there's a sutta about it, that just simply sitting and listening to someone talk about the, the Dhamma, mm is sufficient for someone to go into first jhana. Why? Mm. Because the Dhamma that we're talking about is, for one thing, is wholesome. If we're thinking about the wholesome, then we're already free from hindrances, and that's the biggest deal. That's the biggest item on on the list of first jhana, (laughs) is to get rid of those hindrances, okay? Mm. And now we're recognizing well, where those hindrances are is stuff that we just keep recognizing or recognizing, reinventing, remanufacturing over and over and over again. Mm. So in the beginning, we learn to put wholesome in that process. Mm. And then later we start starving it of fuel. Mm. 
Okay, because we're just staying right in the here now. We're not going to be using any of the fuel from the past. We're not trying to recognize. We're not trying to make sense out of it. We're just mm. here to enjoy it. Mm. And so we stop thinking about not uh, the problems of the day, but we stop thinking about Sudoku and everything else and just let <laughs> sensory input just mm. be here. Just It's so nice. <laughs> nice weather, nice greenery. Mm. Everything is really cool. Everything is sabai, sabai. And it's an ordinary human state, not mm. magical. Mm. It's just a, being at peace, being at mm. rest, being mm. at home in the environment. Mm. And so that's that's part of the practice of Anapanasati. Mm. But how we get to it is by being aware of these feelings as they arise. To look at the th mm. thoughts that we have. When the mind is going yakety yak, mm. can you make it yakety yak about something else? Mm. <laughs> okay, yeah. An example of that is you get you get a piece of music stuck in your mind. Mm. Yep, happens. Well, the, the best way to get a piece of, of music that's in, stuck in the mind, unstuck, is by playing a different tune. Mm. But it can get really complicated. Mm. In the sense that I got Shahrazad, Rimsky-Korsakov, stuck in the mind. And so I used uh, uh, Gershwin's uh, uh, Rhapsody in Blue Rhapsody to get rid of it. And now it, the mind backs, bounces back and forth between Russian <laughs> blue and Shahrazad, so I need uh, a new tune. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, this is how the mind works. It uh, bounces back and forth mm. all over the place. Can mm. we settle it down? Mm. Then, once we get that, can we settle it not only to that group of, but we expand the number of objects. Mm. That's basically what we're saying. But um, we're not expanding it out to the point that we allow the unwholesome in, but whether that we see everything mm. as uh, metanoia, as there to do you good. This is mm -hmm. your home. This is mm -hmm. your environment. This is your mm -hmm. support system. Everything mm -hmm. is okay. Mm -hmm. Everything mm -hmm. is out to do you good. <laughs> Friends in all quarters. Okay. <laughs> cool. All right, Damarati. Sounds like you've got an another call. So um, that was very helpful. And um, I'll be applying that when I sit. Thank you. Okay. So I've given you several pointers about the yakety mind is yeah. go yak at something else or play a game of Sudoku. But most importantly, be on guard to only allow the yakking to be wholesome yakking. Mm. Okay. Wholesome yakking. <laughs> wholesome yakking. Exactly. Not not okay. not uh, not junk thoughts. Mm, mm. Okay. Uh, but another way of looking at it is a a way of brightening the mind. Mm, mm. 
gladdening the mind is the same as brightening, but brightening also has the quality of opening. So you can see, in fact, that gladdening and brightening and opening all are going in the same direction. Mm. And that is out of the unwholesome into the wholesome. Mm. Until the whole universe is completely wholesome. Mm. Okay, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> All right, thank you. Speak to you soon. Thanks a lot, Damaratu. Bye. Okay, bye-bye.